0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Mei Chu. Here's the context. In North America, we all live in settler colonial states that have been five centuries in the making. We are in an era of Donald Trump and of rising white supremacist extremism and fascism. In English-speaking Canada, these factors shape mainstream politics in particular ways, and the white-dominated left has so far failed to adequately respond to them in particular ways. And in Quebec, these factors shape mainstream politics in other ways, and the white-dominated left there fails to adequately respond somewhat differently. This episode is about Quebec, but it's important to be clear that Quebec is far from the only place with these sorts of problems. Like lots of other places, Quebec has also seen more than a decade and a half of cutbacks and austerity, albeit often in the face of stiff social movement resistance. And for over a decade, mainstream political parties in Quebec, drawing more directly on European models than on what is usually seen in the rest of Canada and the United States, have floated various proposals often couched as secularism or as reasonable accommodation that would further embed Islamophobia and other forms of racism and discrimination in state practices. May Chu is a lawyer based in Montreal, though much of her time is spent engaged in grassroots political work. She has long been active in a wide range of social movements, stretching all the way back to the Solidarity movement against South African Apartheid. She has also in the past been an activist and a candidate with Quebec Solidaire, a left-wing political party in Quebec that currently has ten seats in the province's legislature. For a while now, she has been part of a network of activists and organizers who have been feeling increasingly frustrated with what they see as the weakness of mainstream left movements and organizations in the province on issues of decolonization and anti-racism. These frustrations cover a broad range, extending from the basic reluctance by much of the white-dominated left in the province to truly grapple with the settler-colonial character of Québécois society, to a broad refusal to prioritize the issues of racialized people beyond the level of rhetoric. This is well illustrated by this year's debate around Bill 21. This measure, proposed by the province's right-wing Coalition Avenir Québec, or CAQ, government, bans the wearing of religious symbols by many individuals employed in the public service, as well as by teachers. It amounts to legalized discrimination, most visibly against Muslim women who wear head coverings, but against certain other groups as well. Taking a stand against discrimination so blatant that it requires invoking the Constitution's notwithstanding clause seems like a fairly basic left thing to do, but it took an immense amount of organizing within Québec solidaire to get the party to actually take a position against Bill 21, and it only did so a week or two before the government finally passed it. At some point, the flurry of emails and Skype calls and conversations over coffee among the network of which Chu is a part turned into a commitment to a new political project. They decided that they wanted not only to have a way to make public criticisms of existing left institutions, but to begin building some kind of alternative. It's been in the works for over a year, but the new formation, called Pour une Dignité Politique, or For Political Dignity in English, announced its existence and the core of its decolonial and anti-racist politics to the world via a public statement it released in March. The group is still in early stages of development. Much of their work at the moment remains internal. They are, for instance, using reading groups as a tool for political self-education, and to broaden and deepen the group's politics. Their inaugural public event was a screening of a film about psychiatrist, writer, and anti-colonial revolutionary Frantz Fanon, author of classics like Black Skin, White Masks, and The Wretched of the Earth. Their goal for the immediate future is to continue to build their organization through both internal and public conversations through more public events, and in the context of dialogue with related political currents in France. I speak with Chu about Bill 21 and her involvement in the grassroots opposition to it, about Pour une Dignité Politique, and about the process of building a decolonial and anti-racist left in Quebec.
1: My name is May Chu. In terms of my work, I'm a family lawyer. I also handle some human rights cases. But most of the time, I'm a political activist, active in the Chinese community, in general anti-racist movements, and most recently since December, January, in the environmental movement. When I was in university, I started out being a student activist. In my generation, one of the hot-button issues of the time was apartheid South Africa. Through my involvement in the student anti apartheid movement, that's how I learned how to have a gender analysis, a class analysis, an anti-imperialist analysis, an anti-capitalist analysis. And also, ironically, it was also through there that I learned to have a decolonial analysis. Of course, we learned about how the idea for the creation of Bantu stands or homelands for blacks in South Africa came originally from the Indian reserves in Canada. And I think that the other event that happened, which woke me up to local issues, was at one point... We We were all invited to an international conference on anti-apartheid, and George Erasmus spoke.
0: And George Erasmus is a Dene man who was the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations in the late 1980s, and later served as the co-chair of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples.
1: And he, you know, I I can't remember the content, but I, I remember the impression that he gave me was, of course, he was there in solidarity with all these Canadian activists fighting against apartheid in South Africa. But I think that what he was also trying to insinuate was like, well, where is this huge movement for us, (laughs) for the First Nations who are in your neighborhoods and on the very same land? And then after apartheid was dismantled, politically anyway, that's where I also questioned myself Usually in most activities, fighting apartheid, I was the only Chinese person who would be there. And then I also started to ask myself questions like, well, how come I'm also not trying to help my own community? So after that, I started working in the Chinese community in Montreal. Then I got more involved with refugee rights and migrant rights and demanding equal access to public services. And I think that a lot of what I do, the issues that I work on, are all interlinked. And tell me about the group Pour une Dignité Politique. For political dignity. So this is another group that I'm involved with, myself and a group of friends, comrades, Frustrated with the political process and the political context in Quebec, especially with the weakness of the Quebec political left establishment on issues of decolonization and anti-racism, decided that we really needed to flesh out a position that would be more direct on these issues of fighting racism and colonization. So we've been talking, exchanging emails, communicating for the past year, and we finally came out, I think it was in March, with a statement that describes who we are as marginalized people, as descendants of slaves, as descendants of migration that was forced out of their countries for military, political, economic purposes. We also talk about what kind of Quebec we like to see. So we released our statement. And then the first activity that we did was to sponsor a film showing about France Fanon. And the director was also invited to come and we did a conference panel discussion with him. And then he was there at the film screening. And it was hugely, amazingly successful. I think we had seats for like 150 people, if I'm not mistaken, over 200 people showed up, which told us that there is a political space in Quebec for a decolonial analysis. The other thing is, parallel to that, we're still having like reading groups, Because there are lots of issues that we need to flesh out as well, in terms of, for example, women's equality, LGBTQ issues, anti-capitalism, etc. So we continue our discussion and reading groups in order to educate ourselves, and we hope to be able to sponsor more events to share with the public.
0: For the benefit of listeners from other parts of the country, set the broader context in Quebec for some of these conversations.
1: The brief answer to the broader political context is that, unfortunately, we're not sheltered from being in the huge geopolitical context. We're in the world of Trump. We're in the world where there is the rise of white extremism and fascism. So that has a lot of influence on our current political situation. But if you want to go back a few years historically, I think that what has led to our current state is the fact that, number one, I do recognize that the French speaking majority in Quebec have gone through huge transitions in the last like 50, 60 years, which could lead to a destabilization of identity, questions of identity and nationalism, and, you know, that is reflected in, for example, trying to preserve the French language, although we need to also realize that the French majority in Quebec came originally as colonizers. And I think that this is also another historical fact that the Quebec left has trouble reconciling, especially people who are proponents of what they call civic nationalism and not ethnic nationalism, right? Civic nationalism is, well, you know, We're an inclusive movement. We don't discriminate and everybody is welcome to become part of a new independent Quebec. Whereas I think that the decolonial approach would be, well, how do you build an independent country on land that is colonized and was stolen from indigenous peoples? So this is one question that I think that the Quebec left doesn't address. We've also gone through the same decades of repressive neoliberal politics as everywhere else in the country. Just before the CAC came into power, the Coalition Avenue Quebec, which is our current provincial government, we've suffered from 15 years of liberal cutbacks and budgetary compressions, et cetera, et cetera, which left people very vulnerable. And so I think that after 15 years of liberal rule, with I think that there was one year in between where the PQ came into power. And that was also disastrous because they advocated the charter values, which was basically Bill 21 plus plus. But anyway, this is what Quebecers had been living through for the past 15 years. And then during the election in September, everybody's like, yes, we want to change. And then, you know, people went for a right-wing party because I think that the left-wing alternative did not offer real solutions.
0: And what were the situations and the conversations and the concerns that Pour une Dignité Politique came out of?
1: A lot of the people who were involved in creation of For a Political Dignity, we all were involved either as members. I myself was a political candidate for Quebec Solidaire, which is promoted as like the left political party and the model to follow. And to tell the truth, Quebec Solidaire remains a predominantly white left party. And a lot of us were just frustrated. In terms of rhetoric on inclusion and diversity, that was fine. But then in terms of prioritizing the issues of racialized minorities in Quebec, that left a lot to be desired. You might know that even in terms of the Bill 21, which bans religious signs for many, many people in the public service and teachers, it took a huge amount of work to move the party that had previously been in favor of legalized discrimination to finally, I think maybe one or two weeks before the bill was passed, to finally come up with a position to say, no, we cannot support this. And so I think that as racialized minorities, we felt like you're the left movement. Shouldn't it be normal for you to be against discrimination? And it wasn't. It took a lot of work, a lot of lobbying, a lot of education. And even like in terms of, you know, the anti capitalist position, it's not a thing anymore. People don't talk about fighting capitalism. Even though I haven't been a party member for the past two years. In last September when there was the provincial elections going on, I took a month off my work and I worked full time as a political attache for one of the first women provincial candidates to wear a hijab, F. Torres. I accompanied her everywhere She was invited to several all-candidates debates, and that's when I realized as well that, wow, even in terms of the claim to be a pro-environmental movement, again, the position of Quebec Solidaire was so far behind, like, for example, the position of the Green Party of Quebec. And just in terms of internal dynamics, watching how Quebec Solidaire treated their own candidate who is one of the first women, like I said, to wear a hijab, they really tried to minimize her presence in so many activities, which I found unacceptable. And so some of us who were really, really disillusioned with the Quebec left thought, well, you know, there must be a way to make public, not just our criticisms, but also to offer an alternative. Because, you know, if you don't go with Quebec, so you're there. what is left? That's why we decided that we need a stronger analysis of what it means to be a decolonial and an anti-racist left. It can't just be, for example, Quebec Solidaire and a lot of the white left with respect to Bill 21, when the idea was being tossed around publicly, would say, Oh, this is terrible, you know, you're going to ban people from wearing religious signs, but what about the big cross that you're going to leave remaining in the National Assembly? How dare you? So that's like a really white left, actually not even left, liberal position to take in terms of an approach to fighting discrimination and Islamophobia. For us, it was not the issue. It was not our demand even. For us, we wanted the right not to be discriminated against. We wanted to be able to have our right to work valorized We wanted basic bread and butter issues. We wanted full access. We wanted people not to be criminalized just because, you know, they're coming in for work or seeking asylum. So these are the contradictions that we as racialized left in Quebec are faced with when we don't control the public discourse and the public framework in terms of the questions and the demands that are put forth.
0: What are the key elements for you of the statement that the group released in March to announce itself to the world?
1: Number one, we really emphasize the fact that we are on colonized land, and we have to come to terms with that. I think that one of the most powerful positions that we can take as racialized minorities is the fact that even though we did not come as colonizers, we as immigrants and migrants, we feel like we are part of the colonization process. So if we feel like that, I think the question that is not asked, but that is understood is, well, how does the dominant majority position itself in this context of colonization? We recognize that even within racialized peoples, there is a hierarchy of oppression as well, especially in terms of class and gender, physical or mental disability. Of course, we really condemn Bill 21 and the fact that Quebec has, with the Bill 21, rather than addressing social justice issues and problems here, it's taken a turn towards right-wing extremism. And it's totally embarked into government-sanctioned Islamophobia because even though the bill represses all religious signs, we know that what bothers people the most are women wearing the hijab or women wearing face coverings. And even before the bill was passed, from the Charter of Values to now, there have been lots of reports from religious women about being assaulted, insulted, bad on in the streets. The other really horrible consequences of this bill is that the right wing has felt really emboldened to come out and be blatantly racist. So for example, on the day when the bill was introduced in the Quebec National Assembly, Lamut was demonstrating in front of the National Assembly saying that, yes, we support this bill.
0: Uh, Lamut is a far-right white nationalist formation in Quebec, and likely the largest such formation in Canada.
1: So this is something that our collective in our statement really denounces. There is also a component about how Canada participates in imperialist wars and continues to exploit resources in the countries of the South. I think that 70% of all mining companies are located in Canada. We continue to be one of the top arms exporters to countries of the Middle East, and in that way, we continue to support wars against Muslim countries. But despite all this context, we're hopeful. We remind the public that, don't forget, Quebec was capable, and we feel like it's still capable, of playing a progressive leadership role in all these issues what we would like to beckers, like left Quebecers to be reminded of is that often, if I can take the example of Quebec Solidaire, they look towards European models, you know, the Scottish secession movement, the Catalan movement, etc. But we are in North America and there are lots of models, the Cuban revolution, you know, the Bolivarian revolution in South America. So we have lots of examples in the Americas that we could be inspired from. And we hope that with these positions continue to happen have these discussions, we will be able to have a public impact.
0: So, I don't think it was under the banner of pour Dignité politique, but I understand that you personally have been involved in some of the grassroots opposition to Bill 21. What does that organizing look like?
1: There is a lot of political resistance against Bill 21. The day after Bill 21 was adopted, there was a demonstration in front of our premier's office. There were hundreds of people who demonstrated. On the same day, there was a court motion that was introduced to declare Bill 21 invalid. Two, three days after that, I was part of a group of people who started. I I did not have the idea, but it was billed as a hunger strike against Bill 21. So I participated in a 50-hour fast. There were other people who fasted for up to five days. That received a lot of media attention. The message that I would like to convey is that one of the arguments that the government used for passing Bill 21 was, look, you know, since the Charter of Values, we've had 15 years of arguing about reasonable accommodation, about religious signs. So with this bill, we're finally going to put an end to all this debate and be able to go on to more serious issues. One of the reasons why I participated in this action and will continue to participate in other actions is to let the government know that, no, you don't put an end to an issue by removing rights from religious minorities, and especially from a community that only two years ago suffered from the worst Islamophobic terrorist act in all of North America. Uh, That's a
0: reference to the mass shooting by a far-right white nationalist at the Islamic Cultural Center of Quebec City on January 29th, 2017. Six worshippers were killed and 19 injured.
1: So after the hunger strike, I think that we inspired other actions. There have been several activities organized by a new group called Artists Against Bill 21. And yeah, we will be continuing to participate in other actions.
0: Tell me more about the internal features of the group, things like structure and membership and that kind of thing.
1: Like I said, it's a really new group, so we're not big enough to talk about structure and membership. Actually, we wanted to keep the membership really small right now so that we can work out meaningful definitions and approaches to anti-colonialism anti-capitalism, anti-racism, before we put it out there for discussion and for debate. We wanted to keep it small among people who have similar approaches and similar experiences in order to like just flesh out our position before we open up to a broad membership.
0: Since the release of your statement back in March, what kinds of responses have you heard from or what kinds of conversations have you had with folks from Quebec Solidaire and other elements of the white-dominated left in the province?
1: There has been, I think, a really positive reception to our statement. The reception from the left that we criticize has been quiet. Members of the group that worked on our statement and who work for so-called progressive left organizations have reported that mm, there's not been very many conversations about our position, and I think it's because, like, we are extremely critical, and you know, we're humble enough to say, hey, we feel like we're part of the colonization process, and I think that we're just waiting for people and organizations in structures of privilege who are part of the domination. We're just waiting for them to have some insight and question their own positions. So I think that it will probably take quite a long time before we get direct reactions to our statements.
0: What's your sense of what the path forward looks like for the group?
1: Well, we're going to continue to launch these public discussions and conversations. Some of the people in our collective are really inspired by the left party in France, the Indigènes. We're hoping that maybe if we can fundraise enough money the next time, we could bring one of the political representatives here and continue this conversation. What personally I would like to do is to see if we can create a political movement that is similar to the Paxi-Indigine as a political alternative for racialized and colonized people. So one thing that
0: doesn't happen very often that I think should happen more is people from English Canada looking to Quebec to learn from struggles that are happening there. What would you like folks in other parts of the country to learn from the work that your group is doing in Quebec?
1: Number one, from practical and personal experience, it's not that I'm a skeptic of political parties, but I think that we should not let ourselves be led astray by labels. I've been a political candidate for two left Quebec political parties, and I think that I've come to a place in my life where I realized that, for me, that's not compatible, because when you join a political party, often you have to choose between being partisan and remaining committed to whatever struggle that is your priority. So one of the lessons that I learned is that political parties are not the end-all and be-all. Far from it, because a lot of political parties, once they become institutionalized, they become really disconnected from the grassroots. And for me, the real power remains actually outside of political parties, in the grassroots, and being in people's movements or solidarity movements where there is no fear about, well, what should we say? Is that going too far? Is that going to anger the majority? And that's why I choose right now to be in alternative organizations. They've been very active in Extinction Rebellion.
0: Uh, Extinction Rebellion is a grassroots group with origins in the UK that has popped up in a lot of different places that's focused on taking direct action around the climate crisis.
1: We're nonpartisan and we're going to continue to say, look, if we don't attain net zero emissions by 2025, which is far more severe than any political party. You know, we're basically screwing the whole planet, like this is the sixth mass extinction. But I think that you need to continue to tell the truth and to advocate for what is genuine and not what is more, you know, politically feasible or more acceptable, because often by doing that, then you dilute your positions. And for me, you might as well like not even start political organizing if you're going to do that.
0: You have been listening to my interview with May Chu of the Quebec-based group Pour une Dignité Politique. For more information about their work, search for Pour une Dignité Politique on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.